ladies and gentlemen. I'm Dave Crouch, and this is Policy Talks. Uh, our show is produced each month by Williamson, Inc., our Williamson County Chamber of Commerce. And we want to welcome our TV audience on uh, WCTV, Comcast Channel 3, and our radio audience, uh, courtesy of, w, of excuse me, WAKM AM 950. Appreciate uh, Tom Lawrence and his crew getting us out there on the World Wide Web and the YouTube live stream. Um, Creed Henderson over at uh, WCTV does a great job of making us look good and we appreciate their help. Our guests today are again the Williamson County Legislative Delegation uh, led by Senator Jack Johnson, our uh, Tennessee Senate Majority Leader and representing uh, District 23. Our uh, uh, representatives, uh, uh, in order of seniority, uh, Representative Glenn Cassida, representing the 63rd District, Representative Sam Whitson, representing the 65th District, and Brandon Ogles, representing the 61st House District. Uh, gentlemen, we appreciate your taking time out of your schedules. You've been extremely busy here lately, and we appreciate you working us in to uh, give us an update on what's going on down on Capitol Hill. Uh, Sam, I want you to uh, tell us a little bit. I know, uh, and, and Brandon, you might want to uh, take the lead on this as well. Uh, the, the honor you gave to the late Charles Sargent, uh, our longtime representative that passed away uh, recently. And uh, I think y'all did a special presentation in his honor, didn't you? Yes, uh, the other day, and, and Jack came over too from uh, the Senate, and um, we uh, we dedicated the desk that uh, Jack uh, occupied when he was chairman of the uh, Finance, Ways, and Means Committee for many years, and uh, and it was interesting this year while we're going through the budget talks, they still talked about Charles Sargent and the uh, and following his guidance as it went forward, and so uh, Brandon and. Glenn and uh, Jack and I had the opportunity to stand on the House floor, along with Nancy, uh, to dedicate that desk. And, uh, and we had a short video of uh, people like uh, Beth Harwell and Steve McDaniels, many who have served down there over the years, to speak and tell stories about uh, all that uh, Charles did for our uh, state and set us up for this financial uh, stability that we have right now. And uh, and I'll let Jack and Glenn and served with Charles, they may have a few things to say about, uh, add to that. Jack? Yeah, it was a very special moment, uh, Dave, um, to dedicate that desk. And there's a beautiful plaque now that will forever uh, be prominently displayed on the, on the side of that desk on the, on the house floor. And I, I've often told people that as, as Charles retired, and then of course, uh, shortly thereafter passed away, uh, it was just a few days later that I became majority leader, which means I'm the sponsor of the budget. And I just can't tell you how many times I wish I could pick up the phone and call Charles because he was just uh, an expert on that budget. No one understood the state budget as, as well as he did. And, and that's one of the reasons, as Sam said, our state's in such a great fiscal condition. We, uh, I'm fond of the phrase, we stand on the shoulders of giants. And Charles was certainly one of those giants. Glenn, you served alongside him for several years. I did, and, and I, I'd like to take it back a little bit further, Dave. I served with Charles when we were on the county commission, and, and people forget he was chairman of the county commission uh, budget. And uh, so many advancements in our county took place because of that uh, foundational work that Charles did. Just He was a master at the budget. Uh, uh, but budget the budget process is, is not a science, it's an art. And, and you, it just comes together and it comes together in a certain way. And Charles had that unique gift of putting budget, be it state uh, or county uh, together. And uh, I, got, I got to say, too, that after that ceremony, uh, I and some of the older guys were out in the hallways talking and just kind of reminiscing on Charles. Uh, we're all a little peculiar in our behavior, but we got to get a good laugh at Charles. I'm sure he was laughing with us at, 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 his, uh, at his personality and how he functioned uh, up there. Absolutely. Brandon, you're trying to fill his shoes now. Uh, how does that feel? Oh yeah, those and those are big shoes to fill. I mean, it's and and Chuck said, you know, standing on the shoulders of giants. Uh, Charles is 
um, the amount of work he put into the state and the amount of time uh, uh, he put in is just amazing to get to, to do this job more than 20 years. I mean, it's a, it's uh, it just shows his dedication and passion for what he did. Uh, but oftentimes, you know, you hear Charles's name said, but really it's Nancy as well and his family uh, that we also need to commend because uh, of all that time he put in and all that work on the budget. I mean, that, that was a lot of that was time away from his family. And we sure, surely appreciate uh, them letting us borrow him for so long. Uh, he's a good man, uh, worked really hard. And what, what's unique about Charles is he has just as much respect for those colleagues across the aisle and the other party as much as his own uh, Republican colleagues. So many times uh, my office uh, is right next to the, uh, I would say the, the uh, Democrat uh, leadership on the sixth floor. So that they come over all the time and tell me Charles stories and things he did to help them, uh, which is, is really special to hear. He, good man, uh, servant's heart, and uh, is going to be missed. And his legacy will last uh, in the state for a long time to come going to be badly missed for sure. What I'd like to do this morning starting out, and uh, since I gave uh, Sam uh, a heads up on this, I'll let him start, but I'd like each of the gentlemen from the uh, house to talk about uh, three or four or five minutes about these bills that you sponsored and uh, shepherded through the uh, legislative process. Sam, tell us a little bit about your uh, your assignments this year, how they turned out, and uh, so forth. Well, thank you, Dave. Yeah, you know, when you pass a, a sponsor bill, it's, it's a team effort. It's just not one person. I mean, you have to work it with committees and uh, uh, your Senate colleagues and uh, find a sponsor. And so it's, it's, a, it's a process to get through. And, uh, and, and every one of them is still a learning process. And couple of just highlight some that we were successful on this year was uh, one was dealing with domestic violence and uh, identity of uh, potential domestic violence using the hairdressers and barbers and such. And so that was pushed by the and advocated for by the YWCA of Middle Tennessee. And we were successful in getting that through and uh, just an additional training course to identify signs of that. And, uh, and early intervention could save uh, people's lives. And that was one. Uh, another one that I filed, but fortunately the, uh, the Senate and uh, the governor and the House leadership all uh, took action. We, <clears throat> we didn't have to uh, push it uh, from up. It came down from the top, which is a good bill. It had to do with the aviation fuel tax. We actually uh, reduced it this year from 4.5% per gallon to 4.25, and adds more stability to the uh, uh, the, the uh, fund we use to uh, help our airports and uh, uh, across the state. And so we'll see more funding uh, stability in that. Uh, used to uh, the equity fund was uh, it would fluctuate uh, based on the uh, the price of fuel, aviation fuel, and the amount of business. So we needed some stability on that to help our rural airports, our general aviation airports, and also our major airports across the state. You know, FedEx out of Memphis is a big player in that. And so, uh, uh, again, the leadership of the House, the Senate, and the uh, governor's office uh, fixed that one. Um, also, uh, we helped our firefighters and EMS personnel by adding uh, COVID to the list of uh, those that are of uh, diseases and uh, afflictions that are covered by workers' compensation. Um, Franklin was taking great care of their firefighters that were exposed to COVID and coming down with it, whereas some other cities were not making firefighters take their personal time. And uh, so we've uh, added continuity and consistency across the state on that. Did telemedicine uh, legislation to help uh, uh, providers uh, and those needing the help uh, expanded uh, those that opportunity <clears throat> and uh at the request of the police chiefs uh and sheriff's association uh we added jurisdictional immunity for our police officers and law enforcement officers and sheriff's deputies full-time across the state so if they see something uh a felony or a misdemeanor in process they outside their jurisdictional uh 
area, they are protected if they intervene and help a fellow law enforcement officer or uh, make an apprehension. Um, you know, we lost Officer Legaza up in Brentwood, and there was some issue about the uh, reimbursement rate for uh, the, the surviving family for their health care. Um, so we passed a law two years ago that uh, the state would provide two years of health care for the surviving uh, families of those killed in the line of duty. And we found out there was a shortfall in that. So we fixed that uh, for the survivor benefits. Um, also, our park rangers were not uh, covered for liability outside the park boundaries. So we uh, we passed legislation where they're just like highway patrolmen now. They're post-certified and they uh, requested to help outside the park boundaries. And in some counties, like Van Buren counties, there are more park rangers than there are sheriff's deputies. So a lot of times they're called on to help with rescues and apprehend escapees and so that that will protect our park rangers uh also we uh uh passed a uh a private act to help franklin special school district issue a 45 million dollars in bond so they can construct new facilities and improve uh the uh, programs there and um also had a was working with the senate and uh leadership and the House leadership on a campaign finance ethics uh, reform legislation. But that's, uh, we're going to work on that this summer and uh, it'd be pretty comprehensive, but there are some things we need to do to fix that. So other than that, it's been pretty busy, but co-sponsored a lot of legislation to help. And uh, and um, so it was just a typical year in the General Assembly. Busy year, busy, busy times. Glenn, uh, you've uh, been through this process several times now. What uh, what did you spend most of your time on this year? I'll, I've got four bills that I'll, I'll dwell on that I passed, but I, I want the record to note that the old guys didn't get sick this year. The young guys got the COVID, so just, just let the record show that the, the old guys came through again. <laughs> right, Sam? Oh, yes, and uh, I was fortunate. The VA started giving uh, shots for those under 65 in January, so uh, I got in there early. So I got vaccinated. There's four bills a day that I worked on and passed. The first one Jack and I are working on uh, right now, and it's, it's brought to us by our sheriff and was endorsed by the Sheriff's Association. And it gives confidentiality for those that are arrested. Uh, it keeps their, just their name and their social security and their phone number out of the public record. Uh, and so, um, so that's something that the sheriff's wanted, our sheriff wanted, and, and I've got it on the house floor Monday. Um, the other thing that's going to make a nice impact on businesses is currently uh, those businessmen that purchase large ticket items, if they uh, were taxed and they shouldn't have been or overtaxed, <clears throat> they had no recourse but to go back through the retailer or where they bought the equipment from in most cases. And so this legislation will allow uh, I as a businessman to go right to the Department of Revenue for my uh, my, tick, my tax rebate if I was overcharged or charged and I shouldn't have been. That was endorsed by the NFIB and the accountants and they brought that to uh, to me. And then two other bills, uh, the one that I, the two that I really liked is that there we have in Tennessee called Citizens Police Oversights. Uh, and they actually oversee uh, the police activities of, of given cities in our state. And they become an activist organization, Dave. And, and so this says you simply have to go through the Citizens Academy. You have to learn what the police do. And it gives you a balanced view of your political agenda versus what the police do on a day-to-day -day operate. And, and that's a day-to-day -day, uh, activity. So I'm excited about that one. The last one I'll touch on that I really like uh, the Department of Health will now publish on, on every pandemic or disease outbreak, they'll publish uh, the number of uh, people tested uh, for that disease, the type of test used, uh, and then the symptomatic and asymptomatic cases. And, and, and the goal here is just to simply bring transparency. Um, with COVID, with the PSR test, 50% uh, were false positive. So it gave a false impression of how many people were actually sick. Uh, and, and then it also, uh, without detailing asymptomatic cases, it gave a false impression. So this just brings some transparency to our next pandemic, and, and which we have every six to eight to 10 years. Okay. So working hard there. Uh, yes, sir. Brandon, it's uh, been a rough uh, last few weeks for you. Uh, you uh, 
had had COVID and double pneumonia. You're uh, are you feeling okay now? Yeah, I'm feeling a lot better, and a lot of that was just getting some rest. Uh, probably could have come back last week, but was still clearing a lot of fluid, so I didn't want to be. Uh, that guy that's coughing through committee and uh, on the floor that's uh, scaring everybody that they're going to uh, get them sick. So I, I needed to clear a lot of that fluid, and I'm still a little froggy with my voice. But, uh, yeah, a rough go at it. The, the COVID was bad, uh, but the pneumonia really set me back. And, uh, and doctors say, say that could take you know, up to two to three months to totally uh, heal from. Uh, I feel better. I just don't have the endurance that I had. Uh, but that being said, uh, my colleagues, uh, I love writing legislation, had what I feel like were a, a lot of good bills in the process. And uh, my colleagues stepped in uh, to really help with the legislation. So it looks like uh, looks like we've got 10 bills going to the governor's desk uh, that a, a large group of my colleagues worked on uh, that I was fortunate enough to write. Um, one of my the most proud of because uh, it came from my constituents during the pandemic and it's bill 37, the essential workers act. Uh, we really saw some of the municipalities make lists and encumber trade decide that certain uh, for instance, our restaurants in Nashville that decided our restaurants, our musicians uh, were not essential to the, uh, to the uh, well-being being of the community and really shut some businesses down for a long time. Uh, this bill says that local municipalities or mayors or boards uh, cannot generate lists of non-essential workers. So basically, you can't make a list and decide, you know, a, a uh, restaurateur, an entertainer, a, uh, uh, a plastic surgeon cannot go to work simply because we've deemed their work unessential. And uh, that passed both chambers um, and I was, I'm proud of that. And that's going to the governor's desk. So, uh, bill 37, essential uh, workers act, uh, just to be sure that we never generate list again on the local level to put people out of work. Um, bill 40, uh, precious cargo act deals with their interaction between law enforcement and those citizens we have that have some communication, uh, challenges, somebody that has Asperger's or autism that's driving to enter their uh, tag into a da the database. So when law enforcement pulls you over, uh, it lets them know that you have a, a, uh, a specific uh, set of circumstances that may encumber your communication uh, with law enforcement. Uh, and that also covers anything from diabetes to um, even if, for instance, you've got a um, um, MS, where you have trouble getting out of the car, it just lets the police know that we've got a special condition and something we need to be aware of. Uh, so very, very proud of that. Um, House Bill 50 that passed, uh, is, we deemed the defense doctrine. Uh, unfortunately, in the state of Tennessee, uh, rape was not listed as serious bodily harm, uh, which is just an unfortunate oversight that's been on the books for years. Uh, so we went in to find uh, rape, aggravated rape, rape of a child and aggravated rape of a child uh, under a new category of uh, grave sexual assault. And that authorizes deadly force uh, to defend any of those acts uh, for both the, the uh, potential victim and then somebody uh, st standing in to protect them. Uh, very, very proud of that. We take uh, assaults and sexual assaults, especially uh, very seriously in the state. Uh, so I th we, a lot of members of the, uh, uh, of the criminal justice committee thought it was appropriate to authorize deadly force uh, to defend those acts. Um, House Bill 1343 uh, in Tennessee, because of the large fiscal note for years and years, it's been illegal to smuggle cell phones into prisons, but once a cell phone was in prison, it was not an offense to have a cell phone. Um, so with help <laughs> from the Senate and a lot of people in the criminal justice system. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, that, that exactly right. I mean, this is smuggling them in. And, you know, we had we, we had members of uh, 
of the law enforcement community actually lose their life because of uh, some acts that what we did is we made it a, a class C felony to have fine only, which wiped out the fiscal note. Uh, so we did away with a 25 the $40 million recurring fiscal note and made that a felony, uh, which will help um, get those cell phones out of the prisons. Um, so we, we defined House Bill 925. We defined cybersecurity uh, for our schools and put that in a classification where that is confidential information for our school security system and kept that uh, from being distributed to the general public. Um, wrote a bill um, defining, actually uh, wrote a bill for childhood obesity uh, where Tasser would do a study that's, that's past the Senate. It's moving in the House. Uh, I anticipate that being passed this week. Uh, childhood obesity is one of the biggest health crises we have in the state of Tennessee that we haven't spent a whole lot of resources studying how we can make that better. And uh, unfortunately, Tennessee ranks either 49th or 50th um, in the childhood obesity rate nationally. So that's something, and as you're, as children age out, that, that's actually something that will, can potentially stay with you for a lifetime. So we're going to study that, try to find ways to uh, help our citizens make better choices and give them some tools they need uh, to live uh, healthy lifestyles. Um, Good. Last bill that's coming up that I'll talk about, um, crime against the person. It's passed in the House. It's waiting. Uh, it's calendared in the Senate. So hopefully next week this will pass. Right now in Tennessee, aggravated burglary and especially aggravated burglary. So if somebody breaks into your house with a gun, uh, we're, we're categorized. That's considered a property crime and not a violent offense. So this bill recategorizes uh, aggravated burglary and especially aggravated burglary as a crime against person, which makes it a violent offense. So for all the parole, probation, community services, uh, community, uh, some of the programming that we're starting to, to push more, we wanted to be sure that those crimes were put in the category of violent offenses. Uh, so we would just be sure that People that did that were kind of held to a higher standard and uh, we gave them a little more attention. Uh, but just so thankful for all my colleagues, Glenn, Sam, um, um, Chairman Curcio, Mary Littleton. Uh, a lot of these bills, uh, once I got COVID, were in the process. But without my colleagues and, and Jack in the Senate as well, uh, just enormous resource for him to help and kind of to kind of carry the torch. Um, but a lot of good legislation uh, kept going because of my colleagues' uh, willingness to, to help and, and my stay in absence. So thank you for that. Appreciate the update, Brandon. Glad you're, uh, you're back feeling better. Thank you. Jack, uh, Senator Johnson, you uh, give us a little recap of what your position as Senate Majority Leader uh, requires of you and, and how that uh, has affected the way you've spent your time this session and um, in particular the uh, the formation of the state budget. Uh, give, give us a recap. If you will. Sure, <clears throat> happy to Dave. Um, so as majority leader while we're in session <clears throat> my primary responsibility is to help shepherd the governor's legislative initiatives through the Senate uh, including the budget. Um, my colleague on the House side, my counterpart, William Lambreth, is the House Majority Leader. So he and I serve as the prime legislative sponsors of all the governor's bills. I think there were around 70 bills that, that the two of us sponsored on behalf of the governor, including, excuse me, the budget and the budget-related documents. Uh, we've talked about a number of those, criminal justice reform, uh, the, some of the education stuff that we did during our special session before we started our regular session. Uh, so I've really enjoyed that. I have tremendous respect for our governor and he had a bold legislative plan. Many of the items we were addressing this year were things that were filed last year that we had to sideline due to COVID and getting out of the Capitol and trying to get shut down. 
so we could get out of there. Uh, so we, we picked up on a lot of the things that we were working on on last year. Uh, as far as the budget goes, uh, the, pro the way the process works is usually around the 1st of February, the governor will present his proposed budget. Uh, the, the executive branch and the various departments, they start having budget hearings uh, in the fall. Uh, and that's where they come sit down with the governor, go through their budgets, all the various state agencies and departments, all the cabinet level uh, departments and go through their budgets line by line in terms of what they need in order to, to be able to carry out their duties. So the governor takes all of that, puts together a budget and pre presents it to the General Assembly uh, pretty early in session, usually around the 1st of February. Um, then obviously we start working on all the other uh, legislation. I think there were around 1500 bills that were filed. Um, only maybe a third of those saw any uh, action or you know made it through the process. But um, then later in session, usually as we're starting to wrap up, the governor will bring what's referred to as the administration amendment to the budget. And this is, this is an amendment that deals with legislation that is being contemplated other things that may have come up during the session. Um, and so it's an amendment to the original budget that, that was passed. We also have additional economic data. Our funding board has a better handle on revenues and their ability to make a revenue uh, projection. And then we take that information through the Senate Finance and House Finance Committees, and we begin holding hearings with the administration and kind of going through that document. And then last but not least, we end up with a legislative amendment, which deals with things that are important to the legislature that may may not have been included in the governor's budget. So uh, it, it's, it's a kind of a lengthy, convoluted process, but it but it works. And I, I tell you, we, we passed the, the state budget yesterday on the on the House and the Senate floor. I'm very proud of this budget. I'll, I'll hit a few of the, the high points in there, and then we can do a deep dive, and my House colleagues can chime in on, on things that I may not have covered or, or add additional color to, uh, to, to some of these things. You know, last year, Dave, uh, and we talked about this on the show uh, a great deal, when COVID hit, we didn't know what was going to happen. Uh, we were facing an economic shutdown. We didn't know what that was going to do to our economy, our revenues. Uh, uh, about two thirds of our revenues come from sales taxes. So when you have businesses that are shut down, obviously that's gonna give you a great amount of concern about what, our, what it's gonna to do to our revenue situation. So we passed a budget last year that was just, we kind of called it a bare bones budget. It was a baseline budget. Uh, we empowered the, the administration to, to do buyouts for state employees in order to get recurring revenue expenses down. We uh, we anticipated no growth in, in the economy, and we really stripped it down to put ourselves in a defensive posture um, because our budget has to be balanced. That's a constitutional mandate. If we, if we spend more than we've taken in, we've got to come back in that next legislative session and cut because we have to balance the books every year, unlike Washington and uh, with the federal budget. But luckily, um, our economy did not suffer as badly as it could have or that, that we anticipated that it might. And we did end up with roughly 2.7% economic growth. We had anticipated none. And therefore, we collected more revenue than we had budgeted to spend. So that puts us in a posture coming into this legislative session of having uh, uh, over collections, uh, revenue that... Um, um, that, that we didn't know we were going to get, but we were able to get. So we're, we were able to go back and right size some of the cuts that we had made. Uh, for example, last year, we did not give state employees or teachers a raise. So we're able to go back and give them a raise. We're giving them a 2% raise retroactive to January 1 and an additional 2% in the next uh, fiscal year for a total of 4%. So very glad we were able to do that. Here's some other things that we did uh, in, in the budget. Our state treasurer has been advising us for some time that he's a little bit concerned about our pension plan. Now, pensions are where states can really, really get in trouble. Uh, and in fact, um, uh, states like Illinois, their pension plan is about 30% funded. Well, that's, that's an unfunded liability going into the future that you just can't make up. That's somebody's going to have to lose their pension or they'll have to bankrupt the state. There's really no, no other option. 
Our pension plan runs at about 97, 98% funded, but because of the interest rate environment and, um, and some other factors, the, the treasurer was concerned about the solvency of the pension moving forward or that, that that could start begin to erode. And so we took a one-time $250 million allotment into the state pension plan to bring it up to speed. We had the money to do that. So we just wrote a check, put it in the uh, retirement system, and it is now fully funded. Uh, the governor also proposed um, money for broadband, rural broadband. The governor initially proposed $200 million for rural broadband and $200 million for local governments. We're going to do the $200 million, but we did modify that, and we're going to do 100 in this fiscal year. They'll probably get the money sometime after July 1, and we're committed to giving them the additional $100 million uh, next legislative session, assuming our revenues are okay, and same with the broadband. ECD tells us that the capacity out there to spend and deploy broadband is somewhere around 100 to $125 million over a 12 month period of time. We're fully committed to doing that. So we're gonna do 100 million in this budget and then do another 100 million next year. Something that all of us have been concerned about are the reimbursement rates for the providers. We call them direct service providers. These are people who provide services for those with intellectual and developmental disabilities. And they have been underpaid for many, many years. Uh, they were at $8 an hour uh, for, for more, uh, for, for many years. Uh, my son was working at Taco Bell making $11 an hour. So these are people who are caring for our most needy. And uh, so we had increased that last year to $10.50 an hour. We're raising it to $12.50 an hour for those direct service providers, which is incredibly important. I agree, Sam, thumbs up on that. And our ultimate goal is to get them to $15 an hour, but that's a $40 million price tag, $39 million and change. So that's a hefty lift, but it shows our commitment to making sure that those providers can take care of our most needy. We took $250 million and established a mental health care trust fund. This is a unique idea. It's an innovative idea. We had lots of non-recurring money. Uh, recurring dollars are precious. So we took 250 million, we're gonna establish a trust fund and use the proceeds off of that trust fund into perpetuity to supplement what we already do to provide for mental health um, providers in our schools. These are school counselors, psychologists. Um, we've all heard, all four of us and our colleagues across the state from our schools that this is one of their biggest challenges is behavioral health in schools. So we were able to take $250 million and put that effectively into an endowment or trust fund. We put another $100 million in our savings account, our rainy day fund. Um, we're at $1.55 billion now, by far the most our rainy day fund has ever been. And that prepares us for at some point in the future, we have an economic uh, downturn, we'll be able to, to dip into that. $931 million for capital maintenance on our state office buildings, higher ed buildings. Uh, this is this is money well spent to take care of, of our we've had a, a backlog for many years in terms of maintenance deferred maintenance for for our, our uh, office buildings and, and, and other uh, uh, capital projects. We're fully funding the basic education plan, which we've done year after year. We're fully funded. We're fully committed to fully funding uh, education in Tennessee. Um, let's see just a couple more here. Uh, and these are just some of the high points. We have uh, yet again, as we have done every year for the last 10 years since Republicans have been in control, we've cut taxes. And we're, we're committed to continuing to do that. The more we cut taxes, the more our revenue grows, uh, the Laffer uh, curve works. And uh, we're demonstrating that in, in Tennessee, we're gonna have a $50 million sales tax holiday in addition to the one we already do for restaurants and, uh, and, and food. So that will help all Tennesseans, we all have to eat. So that'll put $50 million back in the pockets of taxpayers. Um, and then the last thing I'll say, Dave, and this is a little bit in the weeds, but this is important. We had, because of our budget that we passed last year, and then we reestablished the base based on economic projections and where we are, we have $238 million in the budget in recurring dollars that effectively we're just not recognizing. And uh, that's, uh, it, it's, it's, a, it's a budgetary device that, that we use um, but because I want your, your listeners to know that, that you know, we didn't just go crazy spending money. We, we funded things that will save us money in the future and we cut taxes. 
and and that's a proper way to to handle the budget so when we show up next year in addition to any other economic growth and revenue growth that we might have we're going to have 238 million dollars in recurring dollars that we start with day one that we're just not recognizing we're just leaving that as a carry forward so um we uh and and we haven't even touched on and we may want to about the federal money that's going to be coming down from the American Recovery Plan, and that's a significant amount of money as well. But everything I've addressed is dealing with the state budget. That uh, that is a great uh, thirty. Is that the thirty thousand foot level overview of the budget? Uh, a lot of details under the surface that I'd love to uh, explore a little bit. The uh, uh, the raise for the Tennessee teachers. Uh, I think you. Uh, described it aptly, uh, about a 4% raise next year. Now, that does not mean each teacher is going to get a 4% raise, though. Uh, that's just the state portion. Is that right? You, you're, you're right, Dave. I violated my own rule there. I got carried away. Uh, properly stated, what we're doing is we, we it's a 4% increase in the uh, BEP allocation for, for teacher salaries. Now, state employees are different. That's that is a full four percent for them. But for teachers, you're exactly right. Uh, districts like Williamson County and Franklin Special have more teachers than are required under the BEP formula, and so it will not necessarily equate to an across-the-board four percent raise. Now, I will say, in years past, uh, Williamson County and Franklin Special have stood up to the plate and trued that up and put, put enough local uh, dollars in there to make it a full two or 4% raise. I don't know, I'm not committing that they will be doing that this time. I haven't spoken with uh, Rogers Anderson or David Snowden or anyone about that or Jason Golden, but uh, they have done that in the past. But it is a 4% increase in the state portion, the BEP formula for the teacher salaries. Great. Um, now, what does that mean for Williamson County? Um, and I know, Sam, you've worked hard. Uh, I, I think you all have to uh, get a new building over at Columbia State Community College. Where does that fall into this uh, into this new budget? Well, that's a $28 million uh, construction project that the governor and uh, Senate leadership uh, made sure that was in there. And um, and that that that's going to be funded. But also, you know, there's a lot of other things for Williamson County. Uh, one thing too, you know, Columbia State and our school system has done a great job uh, as a leader in the mechatronics program. And the Tennessee Board of Regents put $1 million in for the mechatronics program. And Columbia State uh, will uh, get around $200,000 of that to continue that program. You know, it started about four years ago. Uh, I think we had our first graduate that received an applied science degree, associate of applied science degree in mechatronics. They leave high school with no uh, uh, college debt, and then they can go right into uh, these uh, corporations that we have here. You know, we got this new battery plant coming down in the Spring Hill area. And, uh, and uh, so uh, this, in the next week, Fairview High School will have 17 graduates that will receive an applied science degree in mechatronics. And Jack and I are gonna go down there next week and see those students. And uh, we sent a note to the governor that about this, and he's gonna come down there and visit with them. And uh, so that's, that's, a, uh, that's one of the positive things that we see in this budget that comes down to, uh, to our, uh, our, our county and our cities. And also uh, just real quick, uh, Jack and Glenn and Brandon and I also uh, we were notified by the uh, comptroller that our county government received another clean audit. Um, we are very blessed to live in Williamson County. Not every county receives this kind of a review and report each year. So uh, that's, I just want to make sure I get a chance to say that because we, uh, we were notified of that last week. That is, that is a fiscal note as well. The, uh, uh, the education system, of course, in Williamson County has always been a uh, one of our, uh, as they say, the goose that lays golden eggs uh, uh, for our kids as well as for our businesses. And uh, we appreciate the support that uh, we're getting, particularly for Columbia State. That campus is uh, obviously beautiful and uh, as nice as any of the state university campuses. Just a little smaller, 
but it's growing and uh, y'all are uh, doing a fantastic job representing, uh, representing us there. The broadband infrastructure, $100 million, that's a lot of money. Uh, probably doesn't look like a whole lot when you spread it over 95 counties, but uh, what should Williamson County residents expect to see from that, uh, that 100 million that uh, is being spent on broadband infrastructure? I'll start on that because thank goodness, most of the, uh, it, uh, there's been a lot of activity on, on uh, the Southeast quadrant, and, but it's coming to the Southwest quadrant real soon. But so what happens is the Middle Tennessee uh, and these various and sundry utility providers will apply for these grants. And, and Dave, don't forget, and Jack touched on it, um, is that the, there is hundreds of millions of dollars coming down from the feds solely for the expansion of broadband. And so, so the process is these utility companies, uh, the cooperatives, uh, the profits and nonprofits, et cetera, will apply for these grants. And uh, once they receive them, then they will, they will start branching out to their various customers. So it, it's that simple. Okay. So uh, people out in the southwest part of the county are going to start seeing some uh, increased access to broadband. Is that what? Uh, and and I, I really want Sam to jump in, but I, I think you'll see those utility providers that cover that part of the county make application, receive the grant money, and then they'll proceed to expand. So right. And, and I, th I think Jack said it best. You know, there's the capacity to spend this money and spend the technology you, you could put the money in but the technology i mean the resources to do that but you know also we had a representative bringing up a good point this week in budget hearings that you know technology is is evolving so fast that there may be other options out there with this low level uh, satellite communications to expand broadband also uh quicker and faster than the ability to uh lay lines so but I, uh, I, I think that's a reasonable amount that they allocated and to work with. And, um, and, but it is a priority for the infrastructure of this state to make sure that we uh, uh, connect our citizens uh, uh, in the future. And it's efficient uh, with efficiency and, uh, and well use of the allocation of those funds. Jack, have we accurately captured the, the details there on those those things we've discussed? Yeah, absolutely, you, you have. And I'll add one, one final thing is you have to think about this in a couple of, of ways. And most people think about you know, getting broadband to their home, which is important. It, it is the, a 21st century utility. It's very reminiscent of electrification about a hundred years ago. And we're in a similar posture. The first people to get electricity in their homes were those who lived in dense areas, cities, towns, and so forth. When you live out in a rural area, the economic viability of that is diminished considerably. Uh, when you have four homes uh, on, on a stretch of road that's a mile long, it's a lot more expensive on a per home basis to get it there. Uh, but we're committed to doing that and, and we need to have broadband accessible to, to everyone. The other aspect of that though is for economic development. Uh, you have companies, you have manufacturing, distribution uh, entities that would love to come to Tennessee and, and perhaps settle in one of our rural or even our economically distressed counties. And I think there are 15 or so what we consider to be economically distressed counties. And we have tremendous assets, just our geographic location, the, the, um, some, not in Williamson County, but in other parts of the state, land is very reasonably priced. We've got a great in, in interstate system that runs through the state, but they will not come no matter what kind of business it is, unless they have broadband, that you, you just have to have broadband in order to run a business. So certainly we're committed to getting it to everyone's home, but it's also very important for, for the, the commercial side and economic development, particularly in those rural areas. Do we have a, does, do any of you have a, a, a idea how many homes in Williamson County still do not have access to broadband? Do we know that? Uh, the governor said he didn't have it. So that's one I know for sure. Uh, <laughs> and, and, and that part of the, that part of the county. And uh, it is a challenge, like Jack said, but it is so important. And, you know, 10 jobs in Lake County and Van Buren County is very important to their economy. And, and like that is a potential 
that uh, broadband um, can really open up for our state. Well, as important as that is to so many of us that work from home occasionally, and uh, not to mention the kids that uh, are studying uh, from home these days, uh, certainly a, an important, uh, important item in the budget. Uh, the, uh, and, and another, and, and Jack, you may have touched on this a little bit, but another education item, I think I saw $80 million in the TCAT uh, campuses at the Tennessee College of Applied Technologies. Um, now, and I'm, uh, I'm not real clear, does that include Columbia State or is that uh, a, di a, a different uh, group? Of, uh, so very, very, they're certainly uh, parallel. So we have our community colleges, which offer a more traditional, um, but very akin to first two years of any four year institution. But then we have our Tennessee Centers of Applied Technology, which um, offer uh, more trade type skills, apprenticeship you know, type, type programs to learn to weld or be a plumber, uh, to be a paramedic. Uh, there's all kinds of wonderful programs out there. And we have a backlog right now. I believe it's 11,000 people who would like to get into our, our TCATs. And so, uh, yes, there, there was, uh, uh, I, I believe the number you mentioned is right, about 80 million in there to expand accessibility to, to our TCATs, uh, including building a new facility in uh, Shelbyville, which will be very important to Bedford County. We put 42 million in there. I believe they have a facility in mind, but uh, that's an underserved area. Uh, between uh, uh, Murfreesboro and, uh, uh, and and Shelbyville and kind of down in that that area around Marshall County and so forth. And so uh, that's going to be a great addition to that program as well. And it, and it dovetails with something Governor Lee feels very passionately about and we do as well. And we are making significant reforms to higher education <laughs> in, in Tennessee. It started with Governor Haslam with the drive to 55. We know 55% of all of our jobs are gonna require some type of post-secondary educational attainment. And uh, not everyone needs to go to a four-year university. There are great jobs. I can tell you there are companies out there that if you are skilled, and you can you can work on an HVAC unit and and know what you're doing in that in that regard. You can start at probably seventy five to a hundred thousand dollars tomorrow. And uh, and so there's tremendous demand out there in the various trades. That's just one example. There are others. So now these TCATs are very important. Any of you other gentlemen want to add color to the to the budget uh, items? No, I, I'll add something real quick. Jack and I, uh, kind of a late development, but we worked on uh, uh, making sure TDOT understood the need for the widening of uh, Nolensville Road from Nolensville to, to the Davidson County line. And we got notice yesterday in that, that, that they're going to do it just north of Nolensville, up into Old Hickory Boulevard, four lane that, and five lane in some cases. Uh, that's such a nice little coup for that part of the county. Yeah. The uh, some, a somewhat associated uh, bit of news that uh, we've been seeing a lot of lately uh, are companies that are choosing to move to the state of Tennessee from other states. Uh, the latest one, I think, is Oracle uh, coming in with a potential of 8,500 new jobs in Nashville. The, uh, of course, General Motors building the battery plant uh, here at Spring Hill with I think another 12 or 1300 jobs there. Um, just announcement after announcement after an announcement. What kind of challenges does that present us? What, uh, from your perspective uh, is what I'm asking for here, but uh, what, uh, what do we need to do for these companies? I know, I think there was 190 million in the budget for fast track economic development grants, which I presume uh, are to uh, help these uh, these type of uh, situations along. Uh, where are we going with that, Jack? I'll let you. Uh, you're you're in close contact with the governor and uh, the economic development people. What uh, what are we, is this going to continue? Uh, and and how how much of it will will we continue to see? 
Well, certainly businesses are flocking to Tennessee. They're, they're fleeing states like California, Illinois, New York, because of the taxes and the regulatory environment up there, just frankly, hostility towards, um, you know, the private sector and they're, they're, they're getting fed up. Uh, you know, you, uh, yes, Oracle, 8,500 jobs, that makes a big splash and headlines and it should, that's a, uh, that's a significant. And by the way, I think the average salary for those 8,500 jobs is $110,000. So these are, these are good high paying jobs. But I would say equally important to that, Dave, are the, the companies that you don't hear about that employ 30, 40, 50 people that are coming to, as we talked about, maybe rural areas of the state uh, or even to Middle Tennessee and some, some of these areas. So uh, it, it is. It's, it's a good problem to have, but you are dead on that it brings challenges. It brings challenges for, for traffic, infrastructure, uh, school overcrowding, and, and things of that nature. But again, I stress it's a good problem to have from an economic growth uh, standpoint. So you want to find that sweet spot to where, yes, we grow, we have economic growth in the state, we have good jobs that are available to, uh, to Tennesseans, but at the same time, uh, it's often said, we don't want to wake up one day and discover that we're Atlanta, uh, meaning just this huge, you know, uh, metropolis area. Uh, here in, in Middle Tennessee. So, you know, the, all of our mayors participate in the uh, Middle Tennessee Mayor's Caucus, uh, which I think is wonderful, where all the mayors get together and talk about regional issues and economic development and roads and schools and challenges that they're facing. And we, we meet with them and speak with them frequently. Uh, in fact, I think that Mayor Ken Moore is the chairman of that caucus, or he was. I know he's been very involved with it. So again, it's good, but we, do, we should proceed with caution because we don't want to overstress our infrastructure, uh, whether it's roads, uh, housing, how, you know, as we know, housing prices are skyrocketing, and uh, which is good. It's good to see your property values increase, but it's also making it more challenging for, for people to buy their first home and, and get into their first home. So, um, so it's something you said, is this going to end? I, I don't see it ending uh, in the foreseeable future. I think this is going to continue. Uh, so we're all going to have to kind of sit down and think about uh, how we manage this growth and make sure that it doesn't get out of hand any more than some might say that it already is. Sounds like the, uh, our state government is, uh, taking a long-term approach to the budget and uh, making sure we don't overcommit uh, based on uh, rosy projections. But uh, a couple of things that I actually meant to uh, ask about that I overlooked. One, uh, I noticed, uh, and I got a text here just a minute ago to remind me that uh, the historic tax credit, uh, I think was included in the budget or maybe it wasn't. Uh, can you give me the... Uh, Sam, I know downtown Franklin was, uh, the, the folks involved down there were interested in that. Uh. Yeah, the governor put in a $5 million uh, grant for that. Uh, I think it's over a four-year period to be, uh, people will apply for that. Uh, we, we hope we can make it recurring to help save our historic structures across the state. Uh, $5 million is a is a start. Um but um, it, it, it will take much more than that over the years, and we'll continue to work and push for that. Gotcha. Um, and probably the, the, one of the bigger financial impacts on the state is the, the money coming from Washington as a result of the uh, stimulus package that uh, Congress passed uh, this past month. Um, who is the, the best first... Uh, representative here to give us uh, a breakdown on how that's going to impact the state. Uh, I know, Sam, you had some numbers when I was talking to you earlier about it. Uh, you want to give us some of the uh, right. numbers on how that's coming to us? And this is why we know we had a, a briefing from the comptroller this week. Uh, we attended and um, they gave us a, a slideshow and we shared it with our local government officials. Um, and it's called the American Recovery Plan funding. It's that part of that $1.9 trillion 
package passed by the federal government, and they anticipate that our state, our cities and counties will receive $2.2 billion starting May 11th. They'll get about half of that be distributed, and our LEAs will get $2.4 billion. And uh, right now, the comptroller uh, will will provide information on the uh, the guardrails and the instructions on how that money could be spent. Um, and um, it, it's going to be a, a challenge to make sure that's spent correctly, that we don't spend it on recurrent funding issues, that this is a one-time uh, uh, allocation of funds for things like you can spend on sewer systems, water projects, uh, things that doesn't obligate these cities and counties for years to come after they spend the money. And if it's not spent correctly and the comptroller will be reviewing that, they will have to return that money. And they have, I believe, until the end of 2024. And Jack and Glenn and guys, uh, Brandon, y'all can correct me if I got that right. But uh, it, it's it's going to be a challenge. Now, Franklin is one of the few cities, uh, there's 14 in the state that will get that money directly from the federal government. The other cities, uh, Spring Hill, Brentwood, Fairview, Nolensville, and uh, Thompson Station will get theirs to the state. And, um, and I think Jack said it earlier, uh, the money uh, that goes to the LEAs will come through the Department of Education, and uh, and, and there's certain um, again uh, restrictions on what that could be spent on, and um, and like I said, it will start hitting May 11th. Um, and again, the comptroller and that uh, will be providing more information, and, and also they'll be doing audits of that money to make sure it's spent correctly. And how much will Williamson County, Franklin, Brentwood, Spring Hill, Nolensville? Well, I, uh, I did a quick look, uh, and again, guys, y'all correct me if I got this wrong, but it looks like Williamson County will receive $46 million, uh, Fairview $2.4 million, Spring Hill $11.7 million, Nolensville $2.7 million, Brentwood $11.4 million, Thompson Station $1.7 million, and Franklin $9 million. <clears throat> and Jack, what? Specifically, is that supposed to be spent on? Uh, so from the uh, American Recovery Plan, um, there's a number of things. They can, they can use it. It gets a little complicated because they can use it for lost revenue. Um, so they can backfill a, a portion of their budget, as I, as I understand it, but you shouldn't be taking on new expenses. So... Uh, so Sam hit on, on many, of, many of the high points, uh, things like uh, building, uh, rehabilitation, um, infrastructure projects, uh, water sewer, things uh, of, of that nature that right. they can use it on. And keep in mind that Congress is debating yet another massive infrastructure bill. Uh, I believe the Democrats in Washington have proposed another multi-trillion dollar um, bill. The Republicans have countered with something smaller. Um, and, and I will say the, the Democratic plan uh, includes a lot of things that have nothing to do with infrastructure. And I think the Republicans are trying to get it really focused on, on infrastructure improvement. And listen, uh, I, I do not dispute that we have in infrastructure problems in the United States. So we need to address those. Right. We are uh, almost out of time, gentlemen, and it, it slips by so quickly when we've got so many things that uh, I know our listeners would like to uh, know details on. And uh, we will put our heads together. I, I'll, I'll bow to your judgment on whether to come back again on uh, our next scheduled uh, time uh, with you all to do another wrap wrap up show. Um, I mean, there are I know most of you would like to talk more about transgender leg legislation and things like that. Uh, uh, we'd welcome you to come back and uh, spend some time with us on, on all the other uh, bills that uh, got uh, addressed this, this session. Uh, again, appreciate the time y'all have taken. Uh, I'm sorry if we didn't get to everything you wanted to talk about. Brandon, glad to have you back with us. And Thank you. Glenn, Sam, appreciate all the work you do there in the house. And Jack, uh, you do a great job representing us uh, both in the governor's office and in the, in the Senate. So uh, appreciate all you do for us. Uh, just 
we've got a lot of folks we need to thank that make this show possible. Uh, top of the list is Creed Henderson and the crew over at WCTV, uh, uh, Mayor Rogers Anderson's for, for letting us uh, use their services. Uh, Tom Lawrence and the crew at WAKM uh, always uh, do an excellent job uh, getting us out there. Uh, there are three entities that uh, make a financial contribution to help cover the chamber's cost on this show. Uh, Vanderbilt University, AT&T, and Don Klein with Don Klein Consulting. Uh, love for you all to uh, let those folks know that uh, you appreciate this show. And uh, if you can uh, use anything that they can offer, uh, we'd appreciate you uh, helping them out. Our chamber staff, led by Matt Large and uh, Kel McDowell, is the quarterback on this uh, effort here. Kel, we appreciate your, uh, your backup here. Nancy Conway always keeps me in the loop on all the, the, the news around the county and, uh, and so many other things. And uh, just appreciate the, the folks that tune in. I know we hear from many of them, but uh, we'll try to uh, cover more of the, the issues that I know some of our listeners would like to hear about uh, in our next session. And I look forward to being back uh, actually on May 21st, uh, ahead of the uh, Memorial Day holiday is our scheduled time. So thank you very much. You all have a wonderful month, wonderful week, and a wonderful weekend. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you so much.